Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts, and much more. My name is Amber Johnson and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications with Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with Julianne Curran, who is the Vice President of Market Innovation with Pulse Canada. And today we'll be talking about our market development efforts on behalf of the Canadian pulse industry. Julianne has a PhD in human nutritional sciences and has worked at Pulse Canada since 2005, leading the development and implementation of marketing strategies to diversify markets for the Canadian pulse industry. She also works closely with a broad range of stakeholders, including pulse grower associations, food and pulse processing industry, scientists, government and health professional associations to identify strategic priorities for research related to health, nutrition, processing and utilization of pulses and facilitates research to address priority areas. We're going to discuss the Canadian pulse industry's market development strategy here today and where we are towards goals focusing on recent work and progress. Julianne, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Julianne, can you explain to start us off at a high level what the Canadian Pulse Industry's refreshed market development strategy is and why this strategy is important for the long-term profitability and success of the Canadian Pulse Industry? Sure. Well, just to provide some context, um, although Canadian pulses are exported to over 120 countries, we are highly reliant on only a handful of geographic markets. And many of these markets that our industry relies on are price sensitive and can easily be impacted by geopolitics. So our market diversification strategy is aiming to reduce our reliance on these kinds of traditional markets with the goal of having meaningful volumes of Canadian pulse production shifted towards value-added processing and utilization in markets that are closer to home or have less risk associated with them. So essentially, we're working to build more inelastic, stable demand for a higher proportion of our Canadian production. Because currently, about 80% of pulses grown here in Canada are exported largely unprocessed to international markets. So we're really aiming to shift that. Can you speak a bit to, I know we refreshed the market development strategy and goals um, recently. Can you speak a bit to what those new kind of refreshed goals and strategies look like and, and how they've maybe come to be and also evolved over, over time? Of course. So the initial target that we set for market diversification was called 25 by 2025, which translated to a goal of having at least 25% of Canadian pulses, or roughly 2 million tons, being used in value-added processing and markets closer to home with less risk. So we developed strategies and tactics to achieve the 25 by 2025 target that were unique and specific for each of the crops that we're growing here. So those strategies and tactics were designed based on audiences, end use applications and geographic regions, most likely to lead to incremental volume and higher value opportunities. And to develop these strategies, we did a lot of modeling of data, gathering insights, you know, talking to stakeholders and working with all of Pulse Canada member associations to make this a national pulse industry 
a strategy. But it has evolved over time after having a few years um, towards implementation of the strategy. We looked at our progress against that original 25 by 2025 target and realized that although we had strategies and tactics that were unique and customized for each of the crops, we you know, really had to customize the target or you know, what we were trying to achieve in terms of growth specific to each crop because applying a one-size-fits-all um, target across um, didn't really account for some of the significant differences we have in production of the crops as well as what the opportunities are for the different crops in terms of end use, processing, um, product categories. So coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we refreshed our strategies and we did make some tweaks to those crop-specific targets. And we're now calling these growth scenarios, which have been extended out to the year 2030. So these are now um, growth scenarios for volume that are completely customized for each crop and represent what we believe is ambitious yet realistic for growth in non-traditional markets or value-added processing. Awesome. Thanks, Julianne. Can you can you dive a little bit deeper on that new strategy and those targets and goals and, and speak a bit to how that translates to the different pulse crops and, and tonnage for diversification in each of those kind of separate streams, as you mentioned? Yeah, you bet. So there are some synergies between the strategies, but they are not um, a one size fits all. So. For example, the strategy for beans is very different than the one we have for peas. Beans are a relatively small crop in Canada compared to peas. They are eaten whole, have high consumer familiarity among all pulses. And, you know, whereas with peas, we have a very high volume of production here in Canada, but we also have a lot of processing activity as peas lend themselves well to usage as ingredients. And we're seeing a lot of growth in fractionation and ingredient processing. And our strategy for peas really focuses on leveraging that. So the growth scenario that we have established for beans is to have 25,000 tons of incremental use in of Canadian beans in the domestic market by 2030. And whereas for peas, we've actually established now two growth scenarios. So one relates to Canadian pea use in the domestic market for value-added ingredient processing and sustainable feed in Canada. And so specifically aims to triple domestic pea use here um, in Canada by 2030. And the second growth scenario that we have for peas is to have 50% of Canada's pea crop going into value-added processing, pet food and feed by 2030 in North America, the EU, the UK and Southeast Asia, which really represents diversification away from some of our current major geographical markets. So a domestic focus, but also um, an international focus on diversification. Moving on to lentils, we believe it's ambitious but realistic to see 25% of Canada's lentil crop, or roughly 625,000 tons, being used and consumed in North America, the EU, the UK by 2030 in 
applications for retail food, food service, as well as pet food. So a diverse um, set of end-use applications as well as regions for lentils. And then in the case of faba beans, the growth scenario we've established is to have 75% of Canada's faba bean crop being used in North America and Asia for value-added processing, pet food, and feed by 2030. And that scenario assumes that we'll also see some growth in production over that same time. So it's just worth noting um, that when we developed these strategies and looked at data on potential growth opportunities, there was um, already a forecasted increase in consumption in the U.S. for chickpeas. And for this reason, we felt that our efforts were best to focus on crops where there was a significant gap between um, you know, the current state and where we wanted to be going forward in the future. So we, we don't have a dedicated market diversification focus on chickpeas, but the growth that we anticipate in the U.S. is likely to benefit our Canadian industry. Awesome. Thanks, Julianne. Now let's take maybe a bit of a look backwards to the last year. So the, the work we undertake under market development runs on a fiscal year from April to March, largely led by Pulse Canada because we're able to leverage a large amount of funds from the grower associations and other member groups of Pulse Canada through the Government of Canada's agri-marketing program. So quite a bit of leverage in terms of extending our, our grower dollars to help us towards these market development goals that you just spoke to. So let's look back to this previous year that wrapped up a few months ago. And can you maybe share some some recent work and, and results or some of the largest outcomes from this past year specific to the P strategy you just mentioned? You bet. So I mentioned earlier that a major focus of the pea strategy is to leverage the growth that we've seen in pea ingredient processing, ensuring that there is demand for these pea ingredients, including their co-products in high volume and high value and use categories. So one of the major activities um, from this past year was intended to showcase um, pea ingredients to the food industry and to do so through a pulse Immersion Days event that we hosted in Winnipeg. And this was an invite-only event that was targeted towards food manufacturers in North America who were in the end-use categories that were most relevant for these ingredients. So um, it was a smaller event, but it brought together 68 participants that represented the entire Pulse value chain, including growers and ingredient processors, to engage with these target food manufacturers so that they could network, really learn about the capacity of the Canadian Pulse industry and our um, sector and our, our ingredient processors and gain some hands-on experience working with pea ingredients um, across a diverse range of food applications. So it was a three-day agenda that allowed participants to attend um, tours, demonstrations at some of our partner technical institutions um, here in in Winnipeg and, you know, institutions that have uh, expertise in in processing, milling, nutrition research, for example, you know, production of dairy products, etc. And so we had eight different pulse ingredient companies that were participating in the event and were able to network with all of these food manufacturers and showcase the ingredients that they have um, and 
um, we were also able to, throughout the, the agenda, feature many of these companies' pea ingredients throughout the products and the demonstrations. So that's just an example of one of the tactics that we've used to showcase the Canadian pea industry and our ingredient diversity that exists. Another example of a project would be to address a common challenge that is shared by all the pea fractionation companies, and that is the challenge we have with having high value and volume and uses for starch co-products. And the production of starch is actually a much larger volume stream that comes from processing than the protein ingredient does itself. So it is a significant challenge for the sector. And we've been doing a lot of projects and commissioning reports that are meant to help the industry to take advantage of some opportunities to use uh, pea starch in applications such as industrial um, applications like bioplastics. And we actually launched a campaign this year that was targeted to Canadian processors and Canadian researchers to get this information in their hands that will really help them to take advantage of some of the emerging opportunities for, for starch and non-food industries. So that campaign featured a webinar. We had um, you know, really good attendance from contacts within the, the industry. And so th those are just a, a couple of examples on the P side of things. So much more that was done but I don't think we have time to, to get into it all. Um, so I'll just leave it there for peas. No, that's great. Thanks, Julianne. Um, I think two really great pieces to highlight. I was had the pleasure of attending the Pulse Immersion Days event in Winnipeg uh, this past winter, and I thought it was a fabulous event. You know, very, very targeted but influential attendees from, you know, some very large multinational groups, but with that tie direct to the, the commercially available product uh, really in the room from from those that represent those companies was you know a great uh, I think approach so loved loved being part of that and seeing that in action. Let's maybe switch gears a bit and and talk about lentils, really important crop for Saskatchewan growers. Obviously, can you speak a bit to how we're progressing towards um, those tonnage goals that you spoke to uh, specific to lentils on that strategy? Yeah, so for lentils, our original 25 by 2025 target was to see 625,000 tons of lentils being used in ingredient processing and the U.S. food service market. So when we were looking at our progress last year as part of our um, strategy refresh, we saw a pretty large gap between this target and the current volumes of Canadian lentils that are being consumed in North America, which is more closer to 100,000 tons. And that's probably being generous. So so the adjustments that we made in our refresh was to retain that 625,000 ton target, 25% of production, but extend it out to 2030 and to expand our target audiences and our end use categories beyond um, North America to include the EU, the UK, and look broader than, you know, retail food and food service and, and include pet food in, in that as well. So that's sort of where, where we're at. There's a lot of work to do on lentils and, you know, a, a very comprehensive focus in terms of, of audiences and, and regions um, to achieve that. Maybe I'll just touch on quickly one of the bigger things we did this year with respect to lentils, and that was a flour campaign. We see a lot of volume potential for lentils to be used as flour ingredients, and it's a bit of a chicken and an egg situation. So there's not a lot of flour processing activity 
but um, that won't happen until there's demand. So we are really focused on building demand for, for lentil flour ingredients in high volume categories like bakery products, cereals, snacks, pasta, etc. And so as part of that effort, we launched a, a rather large digital flour marketing campaign called Flour Facts, and it promoted the nutritional benefits of lentil flour to food manufacturers in North America and Europe through online channels. The campaign received uh, over a million impressions. Um, we had almost 1,500 views of our landing page, so um, some really good metrics there. One of the tools that we developed as part of the campaign is a flower nutrition calculator, so it allows food industry to determine what the impact is nutritionally of blending lentil flour with other ingredients and how that can enhance fiber and protein and protein quality. And so that calculator just during our campaign received 154 unique uses and it continues to be a, a valuable tool that's um, referenced by industry. We also, as part of the campaign, hosted a virtual Pulse Flower Micro Summit that attracted 72 uh, attendees from the food industry and generated a lot of new contacts for us that we continue to engage with. And then um, lastly, we put together a Pulse Flower Hub, which is an online content hub. And that has all of the latest research on pulse and lentil flour, um, nutrition, sustainability, their performance in food applications, and is a tool that's being promoted now to R&D professionals in categories like bakery, breadings, coatings. And we're continuing to add the food applications that are within the scope of this um, as the year goes on. So we'll continuing to be engaging the audiences and promoting lentil flour to them. So that's really summary of um, just, you know, an example of work we're doing to promote lentil use as an ingredient in retail food products. But maybe um, I will actually turn it back over to you, Amber, to talk about the food service work, because that is the, the work that you're leading. So you're much better suited to, to speak to that. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Julianne. 22-23 was really a strong year, I would say, for our food service outreach program in the U.S., which focuses mainly on increasing consumption of whole lentils in the U.S. food service industry, really by working with chefs to encourage more lentils to be uh, menued in both uh, commercial food service, which are our chain restaurants, and in non-commercial food service, which represents dining in places like college and university campuses. Uh, business and industry or corporate dining, so on like uh, business parks and in healthcare and hospital facilities. So the the non-commercial sector has, I would say, finally rebounded somewhat well um, post-COVID with students now largely back on campuses everywhere and staffing levels starting to become a bit more manageable or stable. Um, that was one thing we saw the previous year where, you know, while students might have come back, there was large, significant understaffing, which affected our ability to do outreach to this, this sector. So having things return to somewhat more of a normal allowed our team really to interact a bit more with this sector this year. So um, we were able to resume our in-person culinary training programs offered to campus culinary teams this last year. We delivered six of those programs this past year with Harvest Table Culinary Group, Oregon State University, University of Michigan, Michigan State, Northwestern and Yale Universities. 
all of which, you know, range from 20,000 to 45,000 and more students on campus. So working with their culinary teams can lead to, you know, some decent volume of, of, of lentils, hopefully on their menus over time. Um, we also launched um, a lentil recipe campaign with Compass Group, which is one of the largest contract management companies in food service globally with operations in several segments worldwide. And while it was great to get back on campuses this past year, we still had our online virtual training program uh, continue this past year. We created this last year um, during COVID, but we still retained and continued to promote that, that resource, which saw over 110 course completions by chefs um, during this past fiscal year. So able to balance that in-person, maybe more resource-heavy program with a free online one that just exists uh, moving forward. In the commercial food service sector, um, which makes up high volume chain restaurants, you know, work there is a lot more longer term in terms of outreach with menu decisions largely being made in some cases two to even 10 years out from a menu launch uh, coming to be. So longer term work there, relationship building, really important. Uh, we were in touch with 17 different chain restaurants over the course of the past year. We produced nine different white papers, which is really menu concept innovation work with a brand. And five of those are still active projects that we're, we're currently still working on. And we did see one menu launch this year as well. That launch was a chicken street corn salad with whole red lentils used as a base for a really nice protein heavy dish served at a casual dining sports bar concept with 100 units across the U.S. This dish performs so well in its test process that its sales actually outpaced the rest of the entire salad category altogether, leading to this menu item becoming a permanent menu item, now a signature menu item at the chain, instead of what was supposed to in initially be just a limited time offer planned for a short period of time. So this restaurant chain is actually now working to add lentils to all of their rice-based side dishes, as well as creating a custom whole food plant-based burger patty with us as well to be make a make a vegan offering for their their menu so you know got a great launch there really really positive but also continuing work to to build out lentils elsewhere on their menu as well so just one example of a launch this past year and uh, finally we're also proud to say that we completed our first year of food service outreach work in europe by bringing on a consultant in the netherlands to drive outreach work there as well and we've also just newly onboarded um, an additional new consultant to start work this year within the UK and close to finalizing a consultant in Germany this year as well. So uh, Julianne mentioned kind of expanding that that outreach work into select locations in, in Europe. So that's some of the, the work we're doing to extend the reach of that program as well. So just a few highlights from the past year on the food service side of things, and I'll pass things back over to Julianne here to chat a bit about fava beans, uh, what is becoming to be an interesting and hopefully soon very important crop to Saskatchewan. Um, maybe if you can share a bit of the work that you guys have been recently doing um, on that, the fava bean side and how that is progressing. So yeah, our um, our focus for fava beans, as I mentioned, is you know looking to increase value-added processing and use in in food and and pet food and feed as a sustainable ingredient and leveraging that sustainability attribute. So um, maybe I'll just touch on a couple things from this past year. So we hosted two virtual events on on fava beans specific to to fava beans. So one was you know, a smaller uh, event that was for our industry stakeholders on regulatory pathways for fava bean 
ingredient use in pet food in the in the U.S. market. Um, so helping stakeholders to navigate those pathways. And then the other was a series of a micro summit event that was focused on some of the latest research that is coming out of some of the science cluster projects largely funded by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers on faba bean functionality in food. Um, so we were able to get those researchers to present their latest research results to the food industry. We get a lot of interest by food industry in these faba bean events. Um, they're very well attended and there's a lot of interest in, in faba beans. This past year, we also created a comprehensive technical resource on faba beans for food industry. So it covers everything from faba bean production in Canada, Canadian varieties, functionality and processing, you know, ingredient formats that are available, nutrition benefits, sustainability benefits based on data we have for Canadian pulses, and then also market insights and really demonstrating that there is growth in faba bean use and the categories of, of products that they're being used in. So this uh, resource is, is also highly requested and relevant for our industry stakeholders who don't know a lot about faba beans and are, are really kind of coming in for that like 101, you know, all the information in one place. Yeah, Fabian, I mean, a little bit earlier on in the process, really, in terms of it it being known, understood, and used. But I think it seems like a, t- a ton of interest from industry, which is exciting. To close things off here, we'll switch gears maybe just a touch and talk a bit about sustainability, which is really a main talking point and an, a crucial piece within all the strategies we've discussed already today and, and really a key focus for, for Pulse Canada and the Pulse industry. Can you share what's happening more broadly on sharing the sustainability story of Canadian pulses and how it can really benefit all the work that we discussed and, and looking at moving forward under this strategy? Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, sustainability and the environment is a major topic today. And we're seeing a lot more focus on this within companies and the requests that we're getting for information and, and data. Um, so co- both companies that are processing these ingredients, as well as the food manufacturers and pet food manufacturers, those that are that are using these ingredients and, and the feed industry as well. These companies, they may not be necessarily putting claims on their package related to sustainability sustainability at this point, but they they are really under pressure to meet their own internal targets for sustainability. And we have, over the years, put together a lot of proof of concept information that demonstrates when you use pulse ingredients sourced from Canada, sourced from these production systems that we have here, that you can reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, other environmental metrics of food products, of your feed, of your end product, um, whether that be meats or eggs. Um, So we've had that data that we've been marketing and and promoting to these different end use um, manufacturers and the ingredient processors. And so now they're looking at this really as an opportunity for them to utilize pulse ingredients in formulations as a strategy to reduce their environmental impacts. So looking beyond things that they can do like packaging and, you know, sort of energy conservation, but looking at reformulating. So that's been exciting to see that shift. And I think most importantly, what they 
come to us with the need for is that really robust data uh, to do their analysis. So just like having to do financial account accounting, these companies are now having to do accounting for their greenhouse gas emissions and their environmental impacts. So the life cycle analysis data that we collected for Canadian pulses based on the data from Canadian farmers and production systems here is more detailed than a pulse data from any other country and is also very credible because it represents the full range of production regions um, that we have here. So we've made this data widely available through the databases that industry would access LCA data from, but have also been actively marketing this data to food industry, pet food industry, feed and, and ingredient processors. It, this really highlights pulse ingredient sustainability advantages, but also encourages ensuring those ingredients are derived from Canadian pulses. So ties back to our Canadian production systems. And that's really the end goal across all of our diversification work. We're tying back to that Canadian production, which is why we've got those, you know, back to our original kind of discussion, the production related targets you know, that are meaningful for our Canadian industry based on what we're growing here and the volumes that we're growing. So, you know, in all the work we do, we interact extensively with processors and users, and we're gathering these important insights on where the industry is going, where we have bottlenecks that are preventing growth, what is needed. And those are really the areas that we're trying to focus on um, so that we can build demand and diversify markets for Canadian pulses. Amazing. That was a Great uh, kind of wrap up and talking about sustainability, which again, really underpins all the work that we do and is a main key message that ends up filtering through every every conversation and every interaction we really have in our outreach, which is important. We'll, we'll maybe end it there. That really wraps up our discussion here today on sort of where we're at with market development efforts and, and outcomes related to our goals over the past year. I want to give a big thank you to Julianne for joining us here today. And thank you to everyone for tuning into this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with SPG, you can also subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on global markets, new technologies and trends in Pulse production. Thank you for tuning in to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast, and we'll see you next time.